on this episode of Architect, we take a look at the impact of AR and VR on both architects and their clients. What software should architects uh, be utilizing to virtualize proposed spaces? And how can audiovisual specialists and other technologists leverage these software tools to demonstrate the experience? All that and more next on Architect. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is Architect, Episode 1, recorded Tuesday, April 2nd, 2019. Design Thinking. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Atlas IED, innovative audio solutions for every business environment. Welcome to the first ever episode of AV Nation's Architect Show. My name is Tim Albright. I'm your host. What we're doing is we are we're diving into the world of architecture and how it intersects with technology. With me today, uh, some gentlemen that I'm, I'm very pleased to, to have. First and foremost, Vikram Prakash. Uh, Vikram is the host of his own uh, podcast, Architecture Talk, as well as professor of architecture at the University of Washington. Welcome, sir. Glad to be here. All right. Also with us is two gentlemen from HGA. Uh, we'll start with the, the, the guy who news to me, uh, Jonathan Bartling. Jonathan is an architect at HGA, as well as the director of Digital Practice Group. Welcome, sir. Thank you very much. Good to be here. All right. Thank you. And last but not least, an old buddy of mine, uh, Brad Colt. Brad, uh, I met a number of years ago up in Minneapolis. Brad is an EC as well as the director of the te- of technology design. Welcome, sir. Hey, Tim. Good to see you again. Absolutely, sir. Uh, all right, guys. So, so here's uh, I want to do, drive dived in into a couple of pieces of technology and architecture, right? Um, Vikram, I'll start with you on this. Um, AR and VR is is increasingly becoming more of a tool, really, uh, not just in in technology in general, but in other other disciplines, including uh, architects. What is the the impact of AR and VR on on architects specifically, but also on their clients? Uh, well, I think. Uh... You know, uh, certainly a lot of the firms are using VR and to a certain extent AR to drive home the experience of the intended building and its context and its impact on the urban situation by by immersing themselves first and then their clients into those situations to try and see what it feels like to be at a particular place and to drive home the point of making hopefully more innovative investments i think that's what's happening uh in the in the client in the practice space but i think jonathan and brad may be able to speak to that a little bit more but what we are seeing in academia is uh, even much more of a attempt to think through what kind of uh, intersections there might be between completely virtual worlds, such as those being produced for media, uh, as in films and, uh, you know, gaming uh, worlds, and what impact that kind of uh, imagination might have upon thinking about, uh, you know, uh, more uh, more practical concerns. That's uh, kind of the uh, from the academic end, the frontier of thinking about what is the impact. So that's what I did. All right, Jonathan, uh, you know, Vikram hits the academic. Jonathan, from your your standpoint as, as an architect in a firm, 
Uh, where, where, where does AR and VR come into play? I think it's uh, one of the most transformative uh, technologies that we've seen recently. And I think the, the real reason is, is because it gives everybody a much better understanding of a very complicated process. And so when you think about the kind of traditional design space where people looked at models or perspective drawings, renderings, um, flat two-dimensional drawings, um, if they weren't trained in uh, kind of a professional setting, um, it was very hard for them to understand what they were looking at. You put a, a pair of uh, virtual reality goggles on them and they're able to inhabit a space in a one-to-one -one setting and that's something that they're used to doing every day. And, and I think that um, when you can design in that way, you can kind of see the, the, the impacts of the decisions you're making in real time. You can convey those to the client. You can use it for education. You can use it for uh, more facile decision making. And um, we're just seeing it, it really change um, the way we deliver our services to the clients. And um, and AR is something we're just getting into. Uh, we've been doing virtual reality VR for five, six years now. Um, augmented reality is something that we think is going to have an even greater uh, impact because you're going to be able to layer these uh, experiences on um, the physical environment. And it's more inclusive in the sense that when you put the goggles on in VR, you become kind of disconnected from the people around you. Um, with augmented reality, everybody's going to be able to kind of participate together um, uh, in, in a discussion uh, and an, an environment. Brad, then talk about, for a second, you know, Jonathan made the distinction between AR and VR, right? And, and AR, it's a little bit more inclusive, right? Augmented reality, you're, you're seeing the real world with, with elements laid on top of it. How then, from a, a, a technology standpoint, as, as you're helping and, and assisting the, the architects, can, you know, you know whether it's AV technologists or, or someone else, uh, kind of interact with that and interact with the client as they're seeing, you know, this overlaid reality to them, you know, again, the AR, how can you guys then assist that and, and you know, bring in other elements, bring in, you know, this is what your video wall will look like. This is what, you know, maybe your access point will look like. This is what, you know, the impact of technology will be on this space. You know, one of the things that we do often are screen studies to be able to see exactly what is that screen size going to give you within that space. And it's something that's very difficult for our end users to visualize. And so being able to do what I would consider rapid prototyping with VR or even with the other uh, high-end rendering tools that we have that are able to kick out uh, perspective you know, in very, very little time. I think about compared to having to hand draw that many years ago, we're able to give you many different isometric angles and be able to really let you see what is it going to look like from any of the spots within uh, the, uh, the auditorium or whatever type of viewing space that we're looking at. Uh, we're often designing spaces that have a lot of program in them. So they may not be ideal for the audio video because they're trying to accommodate a lot of other things. Uh, you have a cafeteria by day and you have an all hands meeting that's going to happen there four times a year and wanting to be able to know how are we able to help optimize in a potentially challenging viewing area where you're looking for a space to do an awful lot helps to be able to see what your different options are as we're putting those together. I think 
I think there's just something that's really important that Brad just said, and it's about kind of empowering the user um, to, to kind of control their experience. And, and I think that that's really important when you think about kind of all these technologies that have, have democratized certain things um, and, and made them more accessible just, you know, with, with the power of the, the mobile phone. I think that VR and AR empowers the user to kind of experience what's important to them in the environment that you're creating. And so I think that's a really important aspect of these technologies. And so I wonder the, if the if the two of you from from a practice background have uh, encountered this what is known as design thinking as a discipline, uh, which sort of comes out of IDEO and the people who design the iPhone and uh, you know with that kind of a sort of Bay Area thinking, which is very much focused on the idea that the entire design world must rethink itself. Uh, it's a way of working by focusing much more significantly on the user experience. I'm hearing some sort of similar thinking, but I'm wondering for you if design thinking as a sort of sub-discipline is a category that's useful uh, uh, in practice. I, I think it's absolutely useful, Vikram, and, and I think one of the things that we did recently um, in VR is rather than thinking about the building, which is what a lot of people are using virtual reality for, you know, thinking about the built environment, we decided to think about the user and, and really try to get this deep understanding of the people that were going to be using the spaces. And so um, for this particular project we were working on, we knew that it was an environment for uh, aging individuals and that there were going to be people that had several different um, eye conditions, macular degeneration, glaucoma, cataracts. And so we actually created in virtual reality these filters that allowed us to layer on um, these different deficiencies um, of the aging eye. And then the designers could kind of, as they were designing the space, test how these um, different decisions were impacted um, from the perspective of somebody with one of those conditions. And it made them very uh, attuned to things that they may not have been um, if they weren't kind of using these VR filters. And so I think that, you know, these tools allow us to, to look at different perspectives and to think about design, not just the aesthetics, but how it functions and to really truly test things um, from other people's uh, vantage points. That's fascinating. Right. That's you're, not only, yeah, you're not only using it to bring folks into your world, right? The, the ideas that you have, but you're able to go into their world and really experience the space how your how the real in clients right the people that are that are you know going to live and breathe in this in this you know the the space that you will eventually have built how they're going to how how they're going to experience that's fascinating it is and and you know we're lucky in the sense that our team has some some pretty talented people um, and and I think that's that's an important aspect of kind of architecture and the future design 
Um, our studio, the Digital Practice Group, is composed of architects, designers, engineers, computer programmers, fabricators, and so we're trying to look at what does the future of practice look like from all of these different subject matter experts' perspectives, and we're creating this um, uh, kind of path forward with this multidisciplinary approach that's helping us think about things like that and, and different ways of um, moving ideas and the process forward. And for HGA having... So this, uh, Go ahead, Becker. So, so is uh, uh, in your digital practice group with all these different uh, disciplines working in the same space, uh, is this... Uh, producing a for you a, a a i suppose a a more integrated design thinking uh, methodology uh, I, I mean is that is that how are you integrating all this using the technology what kind of impact is it are you beginning to see on how i'm sorry tim i'm doing sort of your question but no, it's fine. interesting for me <laughs> I'm, I'm interested in like how do you how are you starting to see this impact traditional architectural design uh, sort of methodologies or it's, expectations of what is good design? Yeah. Yeah, I mean it, it's a great it's a great question, and I think that the, the 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 point I was trying to make just a moment ago is we're actually developing our own tools as as a result of of this group kind of getting together and and. The, the project I was just referring to related to the eye conditions, we had a principal come to us, Elena Carter, and said, I am, and, and this is an example of kind of how we work. So she um, was working on a, a senior living facility and she came to our group and said, hey, I'd really like our designers to get a better perspective for the occupants of this building. And design thinking is something that's pretty fundamental to HGA's practice along with the concepts of empathetic design. And so the way that we apply that uh, is across our practice group with architects and engineers. And so we're very cross-functional. And the first time I saw design thinking, I said, this is engineering. <laughs> and so I think it's, we can all relate across that. But it's very important for us to make sure that as we're working with a client to solve their problems, that we're identifying what the right problems are and that we're able to address those. And so that's part of what we're able to do uh, using technology or using other empathetic tools to be able to help make sure we're starting in the right place as we get into those ideation and other phases of that design thinking process. Let's, let's kind of break this down a little bit. And, and, and Victor, I'm going to start with you since, since you're the professor of the group and, and we'll go to, to Jonathan and, and Brad. What should architects be, be looking at? What software, what, what technology should they be studying in school? Uh, and what should, you know, the, the architects that are, that are already graduated, you know, college, uh, but they're working in this on a daily basis, what should they be focusing on? Oh, I think this is a good, that's a question for Jonathan and Brad. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm not, I don't know. Okay. I think I, I think that the most important thing to focus on is something that you're passionate about, um, because if you are fueled by passion, I think that you will bring that rigor of interest to the the, the topics that you're exploring. Um, but one of the things that we are really um, 
looking for uh, when we add and build our, our group are somebody that has um, a computational background. And whether that's in visual scripting or actually hard coding, it's something that is, is more and more important to kind of the future of our practice in the way that we um, approach problems. And so, so that's, a, that's a, a, a key aspect for us um, after culture and passion, the, the, the kind of um, design thinking paired with some sort of computational background. Yeah, I'll piggyback on that because I was going to suggest the same thing, that coding is not the domain of a computer scientist alone. It's something where we all need to be able to do some form of coding, whether it's going to be visual scripting or uh, you know, macros in an Excel spreadsheet. Being able to have that capability and just not being afraid of it is something that I think is foundational for all of us as we move forward. And additionally, I think it might even go back not just to what education we have, but how we would recruit for architecture and engineering and looking at mm -hmm. the tools you need to be able to, uh, that we get to take advantage of being able to do things like uh, these beautiful renderings that we're turning out from our buildings that look photorealistic, as well as we're building things within unity game engine. And so somebody who might have thought a gaming background would be for them, uh, might not be thinking about the architecture field. And so as we're recruiting, I think being able to tell our story and what this field is about and how it's evolving will help to shape that future crop of people who are going to be coming out of school looking for jobs and not realizing that this is a wonderful opportunity for them. Yeah, I mean, one of our recent hire, one of our recent hires is a gentleman that came um, out of uh, Industrial Light and Magic, uh, George Lucas's uh, former film studio, and. Uh, hmm. And, and we've put him to work within our studio and, and he's doing some really amazing things. And so I think we're looking for a diversification of skill set, perspective, approach, and, and blending you know, the, these unique subject matter expertise together, I think really um, dramatically uh, improves our final output. And, and our overall so process. So as an academic, what I'm hearing you say is that, uh, look, you know, in earlier we used to hear, look, we want really advanced Revit skills or, you know, specialized uh, design software skill. What I'm hearing you say is what is more important is A, a passion for the technology and B, a more sort of generalist understanding of how technology operates and works because you've got to be light on your feet and become more interdisciplinary as far as the technology is concerned. Is that, am I hearing you correctly? I, I think that's well said. I think, I think what I would, I'd take it a step further that, that there needs to be kind of a baseline understanding of, of a subject matter, whether it's architecture or engineering um, or design or kind of a hybrid of those, but then that needs to be paired with some other expertise like computation, um, in a, a deep understanding of technology. So I, th I, think, I think it's more than just kind of the, the generalist uh, education. You need mm -hmm. an additional subspecialty. Got it. Interesting. And, and I, 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 I'm, I'm hearing you guys, Brad, Brad and Jonathan, say that it, this is almost, this has expanded your work pool, right? This has expanded the, the number of people that, that you, would, you would consider, maybe you wouldn't have considered 10 years ago or 15 years ago. Where the fact that you're you're hiring somebody from from you know industrial like magic and and gaming uh, backgrounds, it, it sounds very much that it's, it's expanded who you're looking at. 
Well, and, and I think, Tim, the, the important thing is 10 years ago, um, VR was so costly that uh, architects weren't even able to integrate it into practice. And, and 10 years ago, our group didn't exist. So, so I think we're seeing this kind of evolution of design, and a lot of it is being aided by technology. So if you think about kind of this 2,000-year continuum of the design process, it was generally an idea translated into some sort of 2D documentation that was brought to the construction site and then the building was built. That does not exist today. You know, we, we have 3D artifacts, we have prefabricated components that are being built off-site and plugged into um, the, the, the building on-site. And, so, and this is all um, being able to be done because of these new technologies, these new processes, these new ways of thinking. I want to turn the corner a little bit here and I'm talking about a specific piece of technology. It's, it's called BIM, uh, Building uh, Information model, Modeling. Um, it's made by Autodesk. And for, for those of, uh, that are familiar with architecture, that you're familiar with any sort of construction, you know, you know Autodesk, right? Um, where does BIM fit into all of this? Is this something where is, that's a core competency that you're looking for? Or it's something that, that you think if they can do you know, 3D modeling, or they can do their a gamer or what have you. Um, it's something that you guys can teach once once you bring them in. I'll I'll uh, take this one. I think that um, BIM is is critical to our process. Uh, building information modeling, Revit software from Autodesk. Um, it's it's what we generate our construction drawings in. Um, and, and it's a tool that, that we need to, to use. I would say right now it's one of the most underutilized assets in the architecture and engineering space. Um, I think most architects use it uh, as, as CAD 2.0, if you will, and, and they haven't truly um, capitalized on the information component, and I think that we can gain a tremendous amount of value thinking about how we could better integrate BIM into our process as it was intended, not how people are using it currently, but as it was intended, you know, extracting information from the database, um, using the, the 3D aspects of it to, to convey design intent. And I just, I think there's a tremendous amount of opportunity um, right now and if you look at companies like Airbnb that figured out a way to use somebody's vacation house that wasn't being used underutilized asset um, uber using people's vehicles to move people from one point to another all of these companies were predicated on underutilized assets I think we can do the same for BIM in our space real quickly why do you think that most architects aren't utilizing all the, all the aspects of it um, because I think they migrated their CAD way of thinking into the BIM environment okay. and, and basically forced BIM to function like CAD. And so, so that's, that's, I think, the why. Um, but I think there's, there's an opportunity here to, to re-envision the way that we could extract value from that. So, Tim, could I maybe 
take a layperson's perspective at explaining, uh, piggyback on that a little bit. So when John is talking about CAD, he's referring to two-dimensional drawings and lines on plans, whereas BIM is really not only three-dimensional, but it's modeling what are those components within three-dimensional. You have that database that's able to store what materials are in a space. So as the AV professional, I look at this as a tool where I'm expecting that in the near future, we'll be doing more acoustic modeling within BIM because you're able to look at in this space, you already have the dimensions, you have those materials, the acoustic properties are something that can be fed into that. And so now you can start running those audio simulations. Take that a step further, put people in a VR headset, let them walk around a space. Yeah, now they're able to really get an actual sense of how are things going to sound before that's getting built. So I think there's a lot of runway on how we want to use BIM, some of which we're starting to explore, some of which we can see coming down the road. A lot of fun things there that are left to be used for our design. And then as we look at turning over to the building owner, uh, how are we able to let that become their documentation, uh, turn it into a uh, digital twin for the building that's looking at real-time data feeds coming into it. And so there's a lot there even beyond the, the design as we look at how we could use BIM more effectively for those underutilized parts of it. Yeah. And I think that, again, you know, technology has helped us. So the computing power available to us now to use BIM with data-rich, um, integrated complexity um, is something that maybe five, ten years ago, the computers, if you tried to build a robust data set, um, it just would have been inefficient from a, um, a productivity standpoint. But now the computing power is, is so great that I think you can really realize um, the, the value that, that, that BIM was designed to bring. Right. Go ahead, Vikram. So, so, so just to bite a little bit on that, so you started off by saying, you know, what I heard was that BIM actually... Uh, has the DNA of a revolution in how we think about and communicate design, which is completely undercapitalized, underutilized by the design professions. So I'm I'm interested, you know, how what what is your speculation of how it could be blue skied? I mean, uh, yes, we can go down the acoustic path and, and enrich the user's experience of what that building looks. But do you think that this will this will completely revolutionize how we uh, think about buildings uh, uh, as designers, uh, possibly? And, and I'm, I'm interested in just letting you speculate what the Airbnb of architecture would be. Are you asking, do I think BIM is, is going to revolutionize architecture or um, do I think organizing around uh, underutilized assets are going to revolutionize architecture? Well, I heard you say that BIM is a highly underutilized asset. This has the potential to revolutionize architecture like an Airbnb. Yes. Is that so, correct? Yeah. So, so I've done a lot of research on um, uh, disruption and, and companies like Airbnb that have disrupted the hotel industry and companies like Amazon that um, have disrupted the brick and mortar uh, of, of retail. And 
Um, I, I, I kind of charted out 25 different companies that have changed the, the, the way that we live our daily lives. And, and one of the kind of common themes that, that comes up in there is these companies organized around underutilized assets. And I think if you, if you focus on our industry, there are a number of underutilized assets. Um, young professionals that, that uh, are fresh out of school and, and look at things differently would be an example. They often mm -hmm. aren't the people that, that shape um, the, the, the design until they've kind of learned um, the, the process. I think we could uh, extract more value from them as an underutilized asset. BIM uh, is another underutilized asset that, that I don't think we're, we're truly extracting the value that we can. Um, there's a number of those that I think if you turn an internal perspective um, on our industry that we could organize around to, to potentially reinvent and uh, reinvigorate what the future of practice looks like. That, that's actually going to be a good uh, point to stop, guys. We can actually pick this up on the next one. Uh, gentlemen, thank you so much. Uh, Vikram Prakash uh, from the University of Washington and the podcast Architecture Talk. Thank you, sir. Uh, how do people get a hold of if they're so inclined? Uh, architecturetalk.org is the website where you can uh, find my podcast and reach me. All right, very good. Jonathan, thank you, sir. Jonathan Bartling. Uh, how do people find you? Uh, J-B-A-R-T-L-I-N-G at H-G-A.com, my email address. All right, very good. And Mr. Brad Colt, thank you, sir, as always. How do people get a hold of you or uh, H-G-A? Yeah, why don't you find me at uh, LinkedIn, Brad Colt, K-U-L-T, uh, where I'm posting about technology and intelligent buildings. And you can follow H-G-A on Twitter at H-G-A. And for me, uh, don't follow me on Twitter, but go by the website if you would, please, avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. You'll find this program as well as a host of others looking at different aspects of the audiovisual industry, including digital signage, uh, control and command, marketing, as well as weekly news programs. Also, while you're there, check out our supporters section. These are the folks who help us financially, help us bring you uh, Architect, as well as so many other programs. So all that and more at avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. Thanks so much for joining us for this first episode of Architect.